I'm really excited about this teaching that I've been doing. I tell you, it's been powerful. This teaching on Christian philosophy. I know that that title, you know, isn't one of those catchy titles. But this is a powerful, powerful teaching. The things I've been talking about, if you could understand that every person has a philosophy. And Paul said, beware lest people spoil you through philosophy. It's a way of thinking, a system of thought, a paradigm, a worldview, your outlook. The way that you view the world. That determines everything. If you have a chip on your shoulder, you filter everything through that. You know, I had an employee one time that uh, is a woman who was in an abusive marriage and she was badly abused. And I don't know all the details. I may not be totally evaluating everything correctly. But from what I understand, she just hated men. And she had a chip on her shoulder because she had been treated so badly by her ex-husband. And because of it, she took everything. If a person came in and said, you look nice today, I like that dress, nice shoes, anything. It was sexual harassment. And this woman just had a chip on her shoulder and couldn't get along with people. She had this hurt that she viewed the whole world through and nobody could measure up to her standards. You know what? That's a way of thinking. It's a philosophy. And you've got to change that. You've got to let the Word of God change your philosophy. And I've been taking the example in Genesis chapter 3 where Satan came against Adam and Eve and tempted them to eat the forbidden fruit. And this is where sin entered into the world. And I'm showing you that this is exactly the same thing that Paul was talking about in Colossians 2.8 when he said, Beware lest you be spoiled through philosophy. Satan didn't come against Adam and Eve with overpowering force. He came with words and he began to attack them and they had wrong philosophies, a wrong outlook. I'm not really saying these things to be critical of Adam and Eve because they didn't know uh, the consequences. They had heard that the Lord said if you ate of the fruit you'd die, but they didn't know what death was. They had never seen anything die. None of the fruit ever died or spoiled. Animals didn't die. There was no such thing as death, and they didn't have a full comprehension of what was going on. So I'm not trying to trash them, but I am saying that, you know, we can't be that uh, merciful on us because we live in a fallen world. We know the effects of death. We know what pain and suffering is, and we don't have an excuse to be as naive as Adam and Eve were. But if they would have had these philosophies that I'm talking about, it totally would have stopped Satan from drawing them into sin. First of all, he attacked the Word of God. Has God really said, you shall not eat of every tree? You need to have a philosophy that, yes, this is what God says. First of all, you need to know it, and then you need to believe it, and you need to exalt God's Word as being final authority in your life to where you just don't question it. If Adam and Eve would have done that, it would have stopped the temptation they wouldn't have fallen into that sin. The second thing I was talking about is that they should have just made a decision that God is God, they aren't, and they shouldn't have second-guessed Him. They shouldn't have had it up for debate. God is God and you just need to let Him rule. And I've used a bunch of scriptures on this. It's not in the ways of man to direct their own steps. You need to have someone else instruct you and not lean under your own understanding. You need to make Jesus Lord and just let Him call the shots. Get off the throne of your life and let Him have control. If you will do that, it'll simplify everything. It'll make your choices real easy. It's just, God, what do you want me to do? 
And if what He wants you to do looks bad to you, it doesn't matter. You just trust Him and you do what He tells you to do. And I promise you, you'll always come out ahead if you'll do that. That's important. I spent a number of days talking about that. Let me go back to this same passage and let me show you another philosophy that I believe that people need to have to avoid this temptation and being spoiled the way that Paul warned us about. Right here in in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 1, "...the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden." And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now there is a lot in those verses. I can't say all of the things that God has shown me out of that. But let me just say this, that Satan started out with just a hint of disbelief in what God had said. Then he escalated that to an out-and-out rejection. You aren't going to die. What God said isn't true. And then he went on to the next thing, that the reason God told you this is because God really doesn't have your best interest in mind. God is trying to keep you from being like Him. And it got into actually attacking the very nature and the core of God's being. Basically saying that God wasn't a good God. That God doesn't love you. He loves Himself. He's manipulating you. He's controlling you. He's trying to keep you from reaching your full potential. You know, that was an absolute lie. And here, if they would have had this philosophy, if they would have just said, God is a good God, I don't understand. He didn't explain why He told us all of these things. But you know what? He's God. I'm going to obey Him. And I trust that God is good. That God has... He has... His plans for me are better than my plans for myself. If they had had that philosophy, they could have ended this temptation right there and says, I refuse to accept that God is a mean, angry, harsh God that is holding something back from us. That's a philosophy that you need to have. You need to know that God is a good God. And you know, Adam and Eve did not really know the goodness of God. And some people think, well, how could you say that? They were perfect. They walked and talked with Him in the cool of the evening. They fellowshiped with God in ways that people don't today. You know, I don't know exactly how to get this across, but let me say that most of what we experience about God is based on our own personal experience. It doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't even be that way. But most people have to experience these things before they really embrace it and fully begin to comprehend it. Adam and Eve had experienced God being merciful unto them. He made the perfect world. It was beautiful and perfect in ways that we can't even understand. The climate was perfect. Everything about it was perfect. There was nothing rotten. There were no thorns. There were no uh, thistles. There was nothing bad in all of creation. There was nobody who was doing something wrong. They weren't abused as children. There wasn't a society. There wasn't negative press. There wasn't financial pressures. They didn't have to worry about that. They had all of the food that they could ever eat. It was just perfect. The climate was perfect. Everything was perfect. You had perfect mate. 
God had been good to them. So they should have understood that God was a good God. What more could He have done for them? I mean, they lived in paradise. They lived in perfection. And yet a talking snake convinced them that they were missing out on something, that there was more. Now stop and think about this. If you could take people who were living in perfection and convince them they didn't have enough, that they needed more, don't you think that you can take people who are living in a fallen world with all types of corruption and needs and problems around them and you could aggravate them and get them to feeling like there must be something more? Absolutely. And I'm telling you that this is one of the ways that Satan preys on us. He comes and gets us to thinking that, boy, you've really missed something. You've really missed a lot. Basically, this is what he was telling Adam and Eve. I mean, I, I can just see Eve going to Adam and saying, but Adam, this serpent says that we're missing all of these things that there's so much more that we haven't experienced. So they go ahead and eat of the fruit thinking that that's going to make them better. It's going to open things up. And then, you know, 500 years later, I can see Adam and Eve sitting on the porch and Eve saying, well, Adam, we, we really found out, we experienced a lot of things we hadn't experienced. Sickness, disease, heartache, our children killing each other, the creation going bad, the animals turning from just eating plants to now they're eating each other. Boy, we really experienced a lot. I tell you, you aren't going to miss a thing by serving God. But Satan will come at you and say that the reason God told you not to commit adultery is because he doesn't want you to indulge your passion and lust and he doesn't want you to experience all this stuff. No, the reason God told you not to commit adultery is because He knows what will make us happy. He's the one that created us. And here's the owner's manual telling us the way that you function and the way that you will work best. And it's to have one bait for one life. The only exception to that is if you have a death or something and you can remarry. But you know what? God didn't intend it for you to just marry person after person after person to shack around and live like an animal, a dog or a cat. God didn't say these things because He hates you and restricts you and doesn't want you to have your freedom. Man, he's, He said it because He loves you and He knows what's going to make you happy. And committing yourself to a person and working through the issues and loving each other and growing old together is what's going to make you happy. That's the reason the Lord said that. The Lord told you not to lie because... That's an indication that you aren't trusting Him. You've got to change the rules. You've got to misrepresent things. You've got to take advantage of people and manipulate them. Lying comes from the devil. John chapter 8, verse 44. He's the father of all lies, and God doesn't want you to have intercourse, relationship with the devil. So He told you that not to bear false witness. Not because He's trying to limit you and cut back on your creativity and stuff. It's because it's best for you. So you need to get this philosophy that even though God may have told us not to do this and told us to do this, which doesn't look good to us, you just need to have a philosophy that God's a good God and that He loves you and His plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. I've already used this verse, but I'd like to use it again in Jeremiah 29, 11. He was speaking to people who were going to be experiencing the judgment of God and right in the midst of God pronouncing this judgment against the nation of Israel, he comes out and he says, But I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace 
and not of evil to give you an expected end. The Lord's plans for Israel were good. It wasn't bad. He had good things planned for them. And the only reason they didn't experience the good is because they rejected His counsel and they did it their own way. And they, you reap what you sow. If you go out and if you're mean and angry and bitter and if you lie and manipulate and hurt people and stuff, you are going to be hurt. You will reap what you sow. The reason the Lord told you not to lie, the reason the Lord told you to forgive, the reason the Lord told you to turn the other cheek, the reason the Lord gave us all of these instructions is because it's for our own good. And see, you just need to get this philosophy that it may be contrary to what you've been taught. It may be contrary to the way the world lives. It looks like if you don't stab them in the back, they're going to stab you in the back and you better take care of yourself or nobody else will. That may be the way it looks to you. But the Bible says, vengeance is mine. Romans chapter 12, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. And so if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And it's through your love that God actually promotes you and protects you. See, that's not the way the natural mind thinks. But you need to get this philosophy that God's good. And if God told me to turn the other cheek, that's because it's the best thing. It'll either bless me, it'll bless those people, it'll help promote the kingdom of God. You just need to come to a place to where you realize that God is a good God. And I'm going to make a statement here that some of you may choke on. But listen before you reject this. Adam and Eve didn't know how good God was. And again, there are some people that are going to think, well, what are you talking about? They were sinless. They were perfect. They saw God, some visible or audible manifestation. How could you say they didn't know God? You know, they didn't know that God loved them so much that when he, they disobeyed His instructions and they ushered sin into the world and they saw their own son murdered by another son, I'm sure they had arguments, they had strife, they had anger, they had sickness, they had disease, they saw wars, they lived for 930 years and they saw people kill each other. They saw a great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, kill another great-great-great-great-grandson. And they saw all of these terrible things happening. And they were responsible. Can you imagine how they felt to know that it was their transgression that started all of this mayhem? And, but they didn't know that God loved them so much that He would literally become a man one day and be born as a human being and live on this earth and then allow His own creation to put him to death and he would suffer punishment and all of God's wrath against the entire human race would come upon that man, his son, the Lord Jesus. They didn't know that God loved them that much. They knew that God loved them to a degree because he made coats of skin for them and covered them. God still walked and talked with them in Genesis chapter 4. There were indications. But you know, to think that God Almighty would become a man and die and go to hell and be punished and rise again for them, that was beyond their ability to understand. I have a greater understanding. I know some of you struggle with this and think, who do you think you are? I think I'm a person living on this side of the cross with a greater revelation of God and His love for us than Adam and Eve could have possibly known. Even though God had done nothing bad to them and there was nothing bad for them to be redeemed from, they had experienced nothing but good. 
They didn't know to what extent God would go to bless them and to love them. They had some indications, but the indication, the revelation that you and I have that Jesus came to this earth and suffered and died and took our sins and offers salvation to us as a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. We don't have to earn it. That's too good to be true. That is amazing. And that gives us a revelation of God's love for us that they didn't know. I know the goodness of God in ways that Adam and Eve never even dreamed of. I don't know if it ever entered into their brain. There was a hint of this in Genesis chapter 3 after they had sinned. The Lord spoke to the serpent and he says, I'm going to bruise the woman's seed. And we find out in, in Genesis chapter 3 that that was talking about Jesus, not just physical descendants, but Jesus. The woman's seed would be uh, bruised by the serpent, but the seed, Jesus, would crush the serpent's head. And so there was some reference there that we now know referred to Jesus, but I'm not sure how much Adam and Eve understood that, whether they got the full revelation of it. But see, if they would have understood the goodness of God, if they would have said, God has been nothing but good to us, there is not a single reason for us to doubt that the Lord wants anything but good. If He told us not to eat of this fruit, then I don't know what His motivation is, but He's absolutely good and I'm not going to question Him. If they would have had that philosophy, did you know that that would have stopped the temptation right there? Into temptation. It would have been over. So here's what I'm saying is that I've already mentioned that you need to believe that God's Word is absolutely correct. It needs to be the guiding light. It is a God-inspired, God-breathed document. You need to have that philosophy and not listen to the lies and the criticisms. And you need to let it inspire you and let God confirm it in your heart. The second thing, you need to make Jesus Lord and just say that whatever He tells me to do, I'm not God, I'm going to obey Him. And then the third thing, you need to believe that God is a good God at all times. If you made those decisions, it would simplify your life greatly. And again, going back to Genesis chapter 3 where Satan was tempting Adam and Eve, Satan started out in subtle ways and eventually he just came out in the open and he says, you aren't going to die. He totally contradicted what God said and then he went to criticizing or impugning God's character. And here's what he said in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 5. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he says, God lied to you. And the reason God did it is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He, he's trying to hold you down and keep you from reaching your full potential. You know, it's amazing to me that people are still falling for this lie today. God loves you more than you love yourself. God created you for success. And following God isn't going to cost you. It's going to help you. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. But people are still falling prey to the lie that they want to go out and have a good time and party and do this. And they may want to do something and they're just absolutely convinced that if they commit their life to the Lord, He's going to ruin their whole life. People still submit to that lie today. And here's another way of saying this. Adam and Eve did not really know how good God was to them. They didn't fully understand His nature. They bought a lie that God was out to hurt them. And you know what? This is still happening today. And sad to say, I take no pleasure in saying this,
but religion has become the number one promoter that God is out to hurt people. Religion is telling people that it's God doing things. You know, we just had these fires in Colorado Springs that burnt 346 homes. There was two people killed by it. There was uh, over 32,000 people evacuated in Colorado Springs recently. And it just was a lot of stress and turmoil on everybody. And I've been glued to the television watching it because it affects our ministry. Our ministry was evacuated. And uh, we were dealing with all of these things. Never once did I hear the secular media, the mayor, any of the uh, fire chiefs, any of the firefighters, the police, anybody, nobody said that this was judgment and that this was God. And nobody presented this as being an act of God. They fought against it with everything they had, like it was evil, which it was. And they used all of their resources against it. But I got emails from Christian groups who immediately, this is the judgment of God and it happens because we've been doing this and this and this and we've got to fast and pray and we've got to band together. And the Christians are the one promoted that God is the one that killed two people. God is the one that destroyed homes. That God is the one that did this. You know, at this time, they don't know if this was arson or if it was just some natural cause, but there was no storm on the day that it started. There was no lightning and so... They're kind of leaning towards it being arson. And if it was arson, I don't know that it was, but if it was arson that started this fire and killed people, did you know that they're going to prosecute them and charge them with murder because of these things? And they're going to hold that person responsible and they're going to punish them. Let me just say that if God is the one that started it, you know, well then, in a sense, people have that same attitude towards God. And Satan uses this misinformation about God and the fact that they blame God. They call these things in their insurance contracts acts of God. They aren't acts of God. God is not the one sending the fires and the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the destruction and the mayhem. It's not God that's sending the sickness and the disease. But see, religion is saying that. I know that there's a large number of people that you've been told that God is the one that killed people. People just assume it. They think that if God is almighty and if he's all powerful and if this person is sick and if I prayed and asked God to heal them, then if they didn't get healed, it's God's fault. God could have healed this person if he wanted to. That is not accurate. God committed tremendous amount of authority to us and we choose things and there are consequences to our choices. Sometimes there's a direct consequence. Like say, for instance, if you take a hammer and hit your hand, you're going to bruise your hand, you could damage your hand, you could paralyze your hand. There's direct influence. But sometimes things are happening not because of something we've done directly, but just indirectly. It's the sin of the entire human race. For instance, when Adam and Eve sinned, animals started eating each other and eating meat. Before that time, they all ate just plants and stuff. And since that time, there are people that have been killed by animals. And you know what? You can't say that it's specifically their sin that caused this to happen, but it's the fact that sin has put corruption into the entire uh, creation. And because of it, people are killed by animals, eaten by animals. They're bitten by snakes. Spiders bite them and things happen. And it's not their sin directly, but it is sin that 
God turned the control of this earth over to us and when we turned it over to the devil, everything has gotten out of whack and there's just some things that happen not because of a direct result of your sin, but a direct result of sin in general, an indirect result of the corruption that's in this earth. I don't know why that's so hard for people to understand. But like I said, the secular people, nobody was blaming God for killing two people and destroying 346 homes and causing evacuations and the disruption of our uh, infrastructure in this city. But leave it to the Christians. They came up and started blaming God and God did this. God controlled it. That's not true. God does not control everything. And I'm telling you that if you have a philosophy... And this is a philosophy that you think God sovereignly controls everything and nothing happens without His approval. That He may not cause it, but it has to pass His desk and He has to stamp approved on it before it can happen. If that is your philosophy, you're dead wrong. And I don't mean that to be hard on anybody, but I'm saying that philosophy is exactly what Satan convinced Eve that God told them to do certain things because He was holding things back. He's not a good God. He didn't have their good in mind. And He was withholding from them. Did you know the truth was, Satan told them and he said that God has done this so that you won't be like Him. Because in the day you eat thereof, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know the truth was that they were already like God. They were created in His, his image They were rulers of this entire earth. God had given them everything. They were already blessed. And when they ate of the fruit, they didn't become more like God. They became less like God. They lost that God quality. They lost the indwelling presence of God and the leading of God. And they became dead in trespasses and sins. And it all started because they didn't really know God well enough. They doubted His goodness And because of that, they thought, I'm going to have to do it myself. I've got to take care of things myself. And the same thing is happening with people today. I can promise you, if you're one of these people, that it's just hard for you to trust God. The doctor says you're going to die, and you feel like I've got to do everything in the natural. I've got to do something. And instead of just resting in the Lord and saying, no big deal. God's promised that He'd heal me. If you're a person that just, the doctor sways you more then God's Word sways you. It's because you don't really know God. I know some of you don't see the connection here. And you're saying, I know God. No, you know who He is. You may know that He exists. You may have even prayed and been born again and have your sins forgiven, but you do not have an intimate relationship with God or I can guarantee you, you would not fall apart like a $2 suitcase every time something bad happens in your life. The reason you worry and stress and the reason things bother you is because you don't really know God in an intimate, close, personal way. And let me just say that this is not just for the super saints. This is not just for the full-time Christians. Every born-again believer is supposed to have an intimate, personal relationship with God. The Word of God reveals His nature to us. It shows us these things. But then you take these truths, you renew your mind, and then you have a personal relationship with God. I'm going to say outside of the Bible, it's really not outside. It doesn't contradict the Bible, but I'm saying it's not just through words, but you take these truths, you renew your minds, and then heart to heart, spirit to spirit, 
YOU LITERALLY COME TO KNOW GOD TO WHERE YOU HEAR HIS VOICE. YOU FEEL HIS PLEASURE. THIS IS THE WAY THAT GOD CREATED US TO BE. AND I'M TELLING YOU, YOU NEED TO GET TO KNOW GOD PERSONALLY. AND IF YOU EVER DO THAT, YOU'LL FIND OUT GOD'S A GOOD GOD. AND THERE WILL BE TIMES THAT YOU'LL THINK THAT GOD'S DOING SOMETHING AND IT'S BAD FOR YOU. I'VE ALREADY GIVEN EXAMPLES OF ME GIVING MY MATERIALS AWAY IN THE NATURAL. IT LOOKED LIKE THAT WAS GOING TO KILL US. THE LORD TOLD ME NOT TO TAKE OUT A LOAN TO GET OUR BUILDING FINISHED. I'VE ALREADY MENTIONED THAT. AND IN THE NATURAL, IT LOOKED LIKE THAT THAT COULD KILL US. THAT COULD STOP THE MINISTRY, BUT IT'S WHAT GOD TOLD ME TO DO. I DID IT. AND YOU KNOW WHAT? IT TURNED OUT TO BE THE BEST THING THAT WE'VE EVER DONE. THE LORD, IF YOU ARE ABSOLUTELY CERTAIN THAT IT'S THE LORD SPEAKING TO YOU, I CAN GUARANTEE YOU IT'S FOR YOUR OWN GOOD. GOD WANTS YOU TO PROSPER MORE THAN YOU WANT TO PROSPER. AND IF YOU WOULD HAVE THAT AS A PHILOSOPHY, THEN IT WOULD JUST SOLVE SO MANY PROBLEMS, SO MANY ERRORS THAT ARE IN THE BODY OF CHRIST RIGHT NOW. PEOPLE WOULD GET RID OF THIS MINDSET THAT I'VE GOT TO GRAB HOLD OF GOD AND TWIST HIS ARM AND BEG HIM AND PLEAD WITH HIM TO MOVE IN MY LIFE. AND IF HE WON'T ANSWER MY PRAYERS, THEN I'M GOING TO CALL A CHURCH PRAYER CHAIN AND I'M GOING TO GET A HUNDRED PEOPLE OR A THOUSAND PEOPLE TO PRAY AND WE'RE GOING TO PUT SO MUCH PRESSURE ON GOD THAT HE'S GOT TO DO SOMETHING. ANYBODY WITH THAT KIND OF A PHILOSOPHY, AN OUTLOOK, IT'S BECAUSE YOU DON'T KNOW GOD. YOU DON'T KNOW THAT GOD, WHO SPARED NOT HIS OWN SON, BUT GAVE HIM UP FOR US ALL, HOW SHALL HE NOT WITH HIM ALSO FREELY GIVE US ALL THINGS IN CHRIST? THAT'S ROMANS CHAPTER 8, AROUND VERSE 31, 32, 3, SOMEWHERE RIGHT IN THERE. AND IF GOD LOVED YOU ENOUGH TO DIE FOR YOU AND COMMEND HIS LOVE TOWARDS YOU IN THAT WHILE YOU WERE YET A SINNER, CHRIST DIED FOR YOU, ROMANS 5, 8 then much more now He loves you, Romans 5, 9. He loves you so much that if you ever got a revelation of that, you would not have to struggle to believe God. You would just rest in it. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that faith works by love. If you are struggling in faith, it's because you don't understand how much God loves you. Adam and Eve did not understand how much God loved them. And that's the reason they bought into this lie that God was withholding something from them. And so here's a philosophy. You've got to believe that God loves you more than you love yourself. You've got to believe that God is a good God, that God is for you. And you've got to filter everything through that. And I can guarantee you, in a fallen world, when you have bad things happen to you, you're going to be tempted to think that God at the very least, is just disconnected and doesn't care about you. Or if you listen to religion, you'll think at the very worst that God's mad at you and God is putting these things on you like Job and He's causing all of this suffering and pain. And those things will totally destroy your faith. You've got to renew your mind through the Word of God and find out that God is a good God. You know, when my son died and I was woken at 4.15 in the morning... March the 4th, 2001, and I was told by my oldest son that my youngest son was dead. I asked him what happened, and then I prayed, and I said, don't let anybody touch him till we get there. My wife and I had to get up, get dressed. It took us an hour to get into town, and our cell phones don't work out where we live. And so I didn't have any updates, and I was thinking about this, and I was told that my son was dead, was in a morgue, and you know what? I started to have thoughts just like anybody else did. And I started to think, God, this is wrong. I've served you. I'm doing everything I know. And yet here I am experiencing this tragedy. And you know, the temptation, I never voiced it, 
But my thought process was to think, God, how could you let this happen? But you know what? Because I've been renewing my mind and because I had this philosophy that God is a good God and God is not the one who puts bad things in our life. That is not God. Let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted of God because God is not the one doing it. He's not the one who does it. James chapter 1. And because I had renewed my mind in this area, you know what? I stopped those thoughts. I filtered my feelings and my thoughts through this philosophy that God is a good God and God wills nothing but good for me. That's His plans. And because of that, I just stopped those thoughts. I stopped those emotions. I started praising God and saying out loud with my mouth. See, this is another thing I've learned through the Word of God, that God said, let there be light. God releases His faith by words. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I started saying out loud, faith comes by hearing. And I started speaking faith out my mouth so that I could hear it and it could come back down into my heart and help me overcome these fears and thoughts. And I started saying that, God, you're a good God. You did not kill my son. It is not you that caused him to die. You are not doing this to punish me. You are not taking advantage of me because I'm not the perfect person that I should be. And I started speaking forth my faith. And when I started doing that and looking at things through this filter, this philosophy of God is a good God, immediately I remembered the prophecies God had given me about that boy. They hadn't come to pass yet. And I immediately had my faith rise and I went from feeling this discouragement and fear and confusion and stuff to... I mean, my faith just exploded. Faith works by love. And when I started expressing my love and talking about how much God loved me, immediately my faith exploded I actually got to where I was smiling and telling Jamie, this is going to be the greatest miracle we've ever seen. And when we finally got in after my son being dead for nearly five hours, he just sat up and started talking. And there was no brain damage, no more than he had before. And it was a miracle. And you know how all that happened? Because of a philosophy, a way of thinking a belief system, a system of thought that I've just determined that God is a good God. God is for me and not against me. And I don't care what happens. I don't care if it's your son dying. I don't care if it's your house being burned. I don't care if it's the doctor telling you you're going to die. I don't care if it's your business uh, collapsing, you being laid off. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You've got to have this philosophy that God, you're a good God. You do not just control everything like a pawn. These bad things that happen are not you doing this to me. You're a good God and you just filter everything that happens in your life, everything that goes on in your life through this and say, God, you have a good plan for my life. And either there's something good in this that I've missed and I can't see or this is nothing but the devil coming against me. And the Bible says in James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore unto God resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so if it's, if it's not good, if there's nothing good in this, if I'm missing something, show me. But from my understanding, there's nothing good in this. It's not a positive thing. It's just an attack of the devil and therefore I resist you, devil. I fight against this. I refuse to allow you to make me passive thinking that God has caused this in my life. And see, if you have this philosophy that if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil. 
And if you live your life that way, then you'll wind up submitting to the good. You'll follow God and trust Him, even if it looks like it's going to have a negative effect, but you'll do it because you trust Him. He's a good God and you can trust everything that He does. I can promise you there's going to be things happen that don't look right to you. It's going to look like God, for whatever reason, turned to deaf ear and just let somebody stew in their juice. We live in a fallen world and there's bad things that happen. And if you aren't careful, you will let circumstances and things affect you and influence your opinion about God, your philosophy about God. And you'll think that God is a harsh, angry, bitter God that is hurting people or ignoring our pleas. That is not true. The Bible just constantly counters that kind of philosophy. But again, unless you are committed to the Word, unless you make an effort, life is going to just knock some wind out of you. You're going to see bad things happen that you do not understand. I'm saying this basically based on my own understanding. I've been seeking God with everything I've got now for over 44 years. And there's people that I pray for that should be healed. And I've seen people healed of the exact same thing that they've got. And to my understanding, they are believing God and doing everything they know, and yet they die. And you know what? I don't understand that. But I've got this philosophy that God's a good God. It's not His fault. God doesn't just sovereignly control us. And we may not know what's going on, but there's something. And it may not be in that individual. It could be the people surrounding them. There was times that Jesus had to put out entire multitudes of people because they were hindering Him operating in the power of God. And of course, He was operating perfectly. And so the, uh, the people, the atmosphere that people live in, their circumstances sometimes can be the thing. Maybe they're believing God with all they've got, but they're surrounded by unbelief and well-meaning people that mean good things, but they're just killing them with their words and their unbelief. Sometimes it's obvious what the problem is. Other times it's not. And I'm telling you, if you have any give up in you, if you have any reservations about God being a good God and always doing the right thing and being righteous and just, circumstances will talk you out of that. You have to go to the Word of God and constantly reaffirm your faith. Sometimes you can see the answer why things didn't work. Sometimes you can't. But you just have to believe that God's a good God. You know, there was a girl, that was, it, she was actually in a music group with my wife, and she was one of my wife's best friends. But before Jamie and I married, uh, I actually dated this girl, and her parents uh, told the um, army that we were engaged, which we weren't. We had talked about it, thought about it, but we weren't engaged. But anyway, they said we were engaged. And I got an emergency leave from Vietnam to come home and be with this girl. She had leukemia. She died of a hemorrhage. And I was with her when she strangled on her own blood. And we had prayed and believed for her to be healed. We did everything that we knew how to do. This was, man, I don't even know, 42, 43 years ago. And we did everything we knew to do. And it looked like God just didn't answer our prayers. And her relatives, her friends, many people, when that happened, they said if anybody ever believed God, if anybody was ever trusting God, it was Debbie. And because she didn't get healed 
and she died, people just said, God, it's not God's will to heal. God doesn't always come through. You can't trust God. And they backed away from their faith. I was hurting as much as anybody else in this situation, but you know what? I said, look, I don't understand, but I know what God's Word says. I know that God is not the one who put this leukemia on her. God didn't kill her. It's not God that failed. And I actually had some people counter me and say, so what are you saying? Are you saying that, that uh, it's us? Did we do something wrong? I said, I don't know where the problem is. I don't understand what happened, but I do know this, that God is a good God, and God did not kill this girl. You know, if you made God responsible for all of the acts that are attributed to Him, there isn't a civilized country on the earth that wouldn't arrest Him and put Him in jail or put Him to death if He was a physical person. Because He is all of the birth defects, all of the tragedy, all of the bad things, the fires, the tornadoes, the hurricanes, the tsunamis, the uh, floods, everything is all attributed to God. And millions of people are killed and destroyed and bad things happen. And people attribute all of that to God. I, don't, uh, I didn't understand it when this happened to this girl, but I just knew in my heart that that wasn't God. And when I said that, I had people get mad at me and say, so what are you saying? Are you saying that we messed up, that she was in sin, that she wasn't believing God, that we messed up? I, I said, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just telling you that out of all of the possibilities, God is not the problem. God is not the one that caused this problem. I was absolutely convinced that God was a good God. And you know, it took me three or four years of as I began to grow, I found out we had done so many things wrong. We didn't understand about the power of words. We were speaking and believing wrong. Actually, there was a teaching that I had been given that Satan is God's messenger boy. And God sends Satan and demonic problems into your life to give you problems. And there was an illustration on that teaching of a boy that was too embarrassed to witness and he prayed and said, God, give me a cancer so that as I face death, I can show people I'm not afraid to die and I'll glorify you that way. The next day, he woke up with leukemia and he died and at his funeral, four people were born again. And I brought those teachings back. This girl listened to those teachings and she prayed that same prayer. The next morning, she woke up and had leukemia, and at her funeral, four people were born again. You know what? That wasn't God that answered that prayer, but that was wrong teaching, thinking that God is the one that puts these negative things. God does these terrible things to get glory out of it, and that just opened up a door to the devil. And it was our wrong understanding, our wrong believing. It was my wrong thoughts that shared these things with her. She believed it and received it. We did everything wrong that you could do. It wasn't God's fault that that girl died. And you know what? I had people turn on me and say, you're terrible for saying that. And I just hung on to the fact that, God, you're a good God. And it took me three or four years to get hold of some truths and learn areas that we missed it in. But praise God, I finally admitted, God, forgive me for my wrong believing and the wrong things that I did. But because I didn't desert my faith in God and I didn't start blaming Him for this, I remember my neighbor in Lamar, Colorado had leukemia. And because I held on to the truth that God is a good God and God wants us well, I was able to pray with her and she was healed of leukemia and totally set free from it. 
And I went on and I've seen other things happen. The people who let their circumstances dictate what they believe about God to them to this day still aren't seeing the same victory. They still don't see the miraculous power of God the way that I do because they let their circumstances uh, change their philosophy about God. They thought God is the one who allows or puts all of these problems in our life. But much of this thinking, much of this religious misconception about God comes from the Bible. Not because I believe that the Bible is wrong in any way, but it's been misinterpreted. People have misunderstood the Old Covenant. When God gave the commands and says, don't pick up sticks on the Sabbath day, honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't do this, and if you violated it, He struck you with punishment and judgment. The very first person to violate the Ten Commandments was a man who went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath day to make a fire. And uh, Moses didn't know what to do with him. He knew that he had violated the command of God, but he didn't know what punishment to apply. And so he shut him up and went to God and prayed, and God came down and said, Kill him. Show him no mercy. Making an example out of him. And so the very first person to break one of the Ten Commandments was killed for picking up sticks to make a fire on a Sabbath day. And people see that and they think, man, this is a harsh, angry God. And they get this impression of Him. But actually, that is not the true impression of God. It was 2,000 years before God gave the law after Adam and Eve sinned. And He was merciful to people till that time. In Romans chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Sin was in the world before the time of Moses, but it wasn't imputed when there is no law. The law came through Moses and it was approximately 2,000 years after the fall of Adam and Eve. And during that first 2,000 year period of time, God dealt with people in mercy. For instance, uh, you could do a lot of things. Cain, the very first person who killed a person in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, he killed his brother and God wasn't pleased with it. I'm not saying that God approved of sin or it was like sin didn't exist and God didn't care about it. No, it was terrible what Cain did to kill his brother. And God spoke to him and told him it was wrong and rebuked him for it. But instead of killing Cain for because he had killed Abel, instead God actually put a mark upon Cain and granted him protection. And He says, if anybody tries to take vengeance out upon Cain... I'll avenge him sevenfold. And God protected the first murderer. In contrast, once the law was given, a person who picked up sticks so he could make a fire and cook some food was stoned to death. Can you tell that there's a difference in the way that God dealt with people prior to the law and after the law came? So when the law came, it showed this harshness of God and this punishment of God. And some people have thought that that is the true nature of God. But again, I cite the fact that it was nearly 2,000 years before God started imputing man's sins unto them. Another example prior to the giving of the law is Abraham. And Abraham is a man who married his half-sister. According to Leviticus chapter 18, if you marry the daughter of your father or your mother, in other words, a half-sister, then it's an abomination and you're to be put to death. And yet Abraham did that. And instead of God putting him to death, Abraham was called the friend of God. 
the only person in the Old Testament that was called the friend of God. In the New Covenant, we're all called the friends of God in uh, John chapter 15. But Abraham had a special status, and yet he was living in a marriage that was a sexual abomination to God. And yet God didn't hold it against him. God was not imputing his sin unto him. He was being merciful to him. Abraham lied about his wife Sarah twice and said that she was my sister, which was a half-truth, but it was certainly misleading. And he was willing to let Pharaoh and Abimelech go and take his wife and put her into the harem. And Abraham did that just to save his own neck. That's wrong by anybody's standards. And yet God didn't rebuke Abraham. He rebuked the kings because Abraham had a covenant with God. And we see God being merciful to people who were living in sin. And then you can take his son, Isaac. And Isaac did the exact same thing with his wife, Rebekah. He lied about her and allowed a king to take her and just come an inch of having adultery with her. And God protected them. And then you can see Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who came along and married two sisters. And the scripture says you can't do that while the other sister is still alive. It's an abomination, Leviticus chapter 18. So Jacob was living in a sexual abomination in a marriage, and yet God didn't um, rebuke him for that. Instead, God blessed him. This is the man that wrestled with an angel of God, and he prevailed, and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel and named the whole nation of Israel after him, and God granted him favor. And you can just see mercy after mercy after mercy extended to people prior to the law. But the reason God gave the law and started holding people's sins against them and punishing them is because they weren't getting the message. They didn't understand how deadly sin was because God wasn't angry at them and He wasn't punishing them for their sins. For instance, I mentioned Cain who killed his brother Abel. Well, his great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, comes along and Lamech kills a man, but his... Uh, his killing of a man was in self-defense. And so therefore, he says, if Cain got by with murder, I'm going to get by with murder because he felt more justified than Cain. The only thing wrong with that thinking is that, see, it, it wasn't God who said that he's more justified. He just assumed because God's wrath didn't come upon Cain. Instead, God protected him. He just assumed God was going to protect him. And this same thing began to happen millions and millions of times. And people just begin to look at God's lack of punishment upon sin as approval for sin. They didn't see how deadly it was. But see, even though God wasn't bringing His judgment upon sin, sin still had an effect. It was an open door to the devil. Even though this vertical punishment from God wasn't coming, this horizontal effect where it opens up an inroad into your life from the devil... That was still in effect and Satan was entering in and destroying the human race because of their cooperation with him through sin. And so God had to show people how terrible sin was. He didn't want to do it from the beginning. If he wanted to, he could have shown Adam and Eve how terrible their transgression was. He could have shown them that Cain would kill Abel, their son. He could have shown them that Lamech would kill a man. He could have shown them all of the wars, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the tears of people. He could have done this and it would have literally overwhelmed Adam and Eve. But see, he didn't show them all that stuff. All that they realized when they ate of the fruit and sinned was that they were naked. 
Did you know that that is a very minor consequence compared to the terrible things that they ushered into the world? The Lord didn't enumerate to them how bad their sin was. They couldn't have handled it. The Lord didn't want to make us sin conscious and show us this. He was still being good to us. But people took God's lack of punishment upon sin as approval for their sin. And therefore, God finally had to show them that sin is unacceptable. Sin is destroying the human race, and He had to get them to where they turned from it. So what He did was give the law, and if you violated it in the smallest way, death, punishment, wrath. The Old Testament actually gave a representation that God was this harsh, angry God because sin was judged and punished and there were just... I mean, God had so many standards. We often talk about the Ten Commandments, but there was much more than Ten Commandments. There was all kinds of commandments. There was commandments that you couldn't cut your beard. A man could not cut his beard. There was commandments about how you dressed. There were commandments about what you ate. There were commandments about the type of clothes you wore. You could not put two different materials together in one pair of clothes. There was commandments about how many sacrifices you had to make and a new moon and every time you had a child, the rites of purification and on and on and on it goes. And if you didn't fulfill them, there was punishments and much of it was death. I mean, it was harsh punishments. And this left people with the impression that God is this hard-to-please, angry God and that is their philosophy. And because of that, they don't really trust God. They think that God is out to get them. They didn't understand why the Old Testament was like that. It was harsh, similar to the way that a parent, when they spanked their child, some people think that's terrible, but you know what you're doing? You're giving them a discipline that they hate, that hurts them, so that they'll quit doing that stuff because you're trying to turn them away from these, these types of actions. Well, likewise, God gave punishment that literally scared the devil out of us, that made us run away from sin. And even though it had a good effect, it's kind of like some of these drugs that they advertise on television. You take this pill for your headache, but then they give all of the side effects and it could kill you, it could cause heart problems, make you impotent, it'll do this and this and this. And I think, my God, I'd rather have the headache than to have all of the stuff that comes as a consequence. Well, the law accomplished something good, and that was it put the fear of God in man. It showed us that sin is not good, it's not acceptable, and that was the purpose of the law. If the Lord hadn't have done something to turn our attitude towards sin and cause us to quit yielding to sin, then this is not an exaggeration. There would not have been a virgin left on the earth for Jesus to have been born to. To, in order to keep His plan of salvation on track, God had to put fear in us and restrain the amount of sin. So the law did that. The law came to people who thought, well, it's okay to be homosexual. It's okay to go out and lie and steal and commit adultery and murder. It's okay to worship idols. It's good, okay. And they just threw caution to the wind because they had seen people do all of those things and God hadn't punished them. And so when God gave the law, all of a sudden they realized, uh-oh, it's not okay. They, they realized, uh-oh, God is going to punish me. And the fear caused them to restrain the amount of sin. The bad side to that is that even though they may have not yielded to as much sin, now they were under guilt and condemnation that they didn't have before. And that was detrimental. It's kind of like a side effect to medications. The medication may accomplish one thing, but then the side effects will kill you.
And so there were some negative consequences to the law, and that is the guilt and the condemnation. Man, I've got so much to... It's impossible. It's just impossible for me to say everything I'd like to say about this. We do have a teaching. I've got a book, tape set, DVDs on the true nature of God, another set entitled The War is Over, that would go into this in great detail, especially the true nature of God would harmonize the harshness of the Old Testament with the mercy of the New Testament. And it'll show you why that happened. A second reason for giving the law is because people, because there wasn't a proper standard, everybody was left to just his own way of discerning what's right and wrong, people were saying, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I haven't murdered people like Cain did. I haven't stolen. I hadn't done this. And so God's got to accept me because they were comparing themselves to other people who were worse than them. The only thing wrong with that line of thinking is God isn't going to judge us on a relative scale to everybody else. You either have to be perfect, which it's impossible to do, or you have to put faith in a Savior. And people had become religious Pharisees. They were confident in their own goodness because they hadn't done what other people had done. And so a second purpose of the law was for those people who were trusting in themselves and their own goodness and thinking that I am in a sense saving myself because I'm such a good person. God gave the law to think, you think you're good? Let me show you what good is. And he gave his standard, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do that. And God gave a standard that was unobtainable. Some people think God gave the law so that we could keep it and earn our salvation. No, God gave the law to show you it's impossible for you to ever earn your salvation. He gave us such a high standard that it was hopefully to make people despair of saving themselves and saying, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's what he wanted to do. But he had to drive you to the end of yourself before you could start putting faith in him. So that was a second purpose of the law was to drive you to Him. I've, I basically summarized Galatians chapter 3 and many other passages of Scripture. Is, that's what it describes. And so see, the harshness and the, the punishment of God in the Old Testament has been misinterpreted by some to think that that's His true nature. But no, He waited 2,000 years to give the law because His true nature is mercy. As it says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8, it says God is love. God doesn't just have love. He is love. That is His core nature. God loves us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John three sixteen. God loved us. And for the first 2,000 years, He was not imputing people's sins unto Him. But when they took that as approval of sin and they threw caution to the wind and just started living in sin, Satan began to destroy the human race. And God had to withdraw us from sin. He had to limit the amount of sin. So He gave these laws with strict punishment that literally scared people away from sin. And the second accomplishment it was for those who thought they were better than others, it showed that you might be better than this person over there, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And so it took away self-righteousness and self-salvation and shut us all up to where we needed to be saved by God's grace. But now that grace has come, the Scripture says we are no longer under the law. 
Galatians chapter 3, the law was only like a schoolmaster, a temporary thing to bring us unto Christ. But now that Christ has come, we are no longer under that schoolmaster. And I say all of these things because I'm trying to get across this philosophy that God is a good God and that all He wants is good for you. God is not angry. And when I say that, people who are familiar with a lot of things in the Old Testament scriptures will think, well, man, God was angry. God said, you do this and I'll judge you. And they see the wrath. And from that, they have a wrong impression of God. But I'm telling you why he did that. It was essential for a period of time. But Jesus brought us the true revelation of God the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the express image of the Father. The two previous verses, Hebrews chapter 1, it says that the Old Testament, you know, had angels that gave laws and appearances and supernatural things, but Jesus supersedes them all. And then it comes down to saying that He is the express image. That means a perfect representation, an exact copy, because Jesus was literally God in the flesh. And Jesus showed us a mercy. If I had time, I'm talking just as fast as I can. That's the reason I mention these other materials. But if I had time, I could show you example after example after example of how Jesus didn't overthrow the Old Testament law, but He fulfilled it. He didn't enforce it because He was going to take the sin upon Himself and therefore He was able to extend mercy towards people who were actually condemned by the Old Testament law. You can see this in the 8th chapter of the book of John. There was a woman that was taken in the very act of adultery and brought to Jesus. The Pharisees threw her down at Jesus' feet and says, In the law, Moses commanded that people who commit adultery be stoned to death. But what do you say? And it makes it clear there that they weren't honestly seeking a proper justice. What they were doing was trying to catch Jesus and trick Him because they thought that if He stoned her to death the way that the Bible commanded in Leviticus chapter 18, well, then all of his teaching about the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God would be voided by his actions and people would turn away from him and say, well, he preaches it, but he doesn't live it. And it would take away his influence with the people. So they, they were hoping that that's what happened. But if he didn't stone her to death, well, then they had the right to stone him to death for violating the law and not enforcing it. And so they thought they had him. Catch 22. Any way he went, he was destroyed. What Jesus did was just bend over and ride on the ground, just like they, he didn't even hear them. And so finally, they got even stronger in their accusations. Tell us, what do you think? And he wrote down, he stooped down and wrote on the ground again. And finally, he said, he that's without sin cast the first stone. And they all left. He didn't say that what she did wasn't sin. Matter of fact, after they all left, he says, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And she says, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He called it sin. He said it was sin. He didn't say it wasn't sin. He didn't say it's okay if you commit adultery because now we live under grace. Grace doesn't excuse sin. It pays for sin through Jesus. Jesus didn't say it wasn't sin. He says, go and sin no more. But he didn't punish her. Can you see the difference? Under the old covenant, she would have been stoned to death and shown no mercy. But that wasn't the true heart of God. It was necessary for a period of time to reveal to people how deadly sin was. It had to have consequences put to it. 
It had to show us that you cannot live holy enough. It was to make you despair of being self-righteous. And so the law was good for a period of time. It accomplished some good things. And it can still be good if we use it to show a person their need for God and get rid of self-righteousness. 1 Timothy chapter 1 talks about that. So there is still a good purpose of the law, but it was never intended to make you right with God. It was intended to condemn you, shut you up, and make you desperate for the mercy of God. But once you turn to the mercy of God, you can't return back to this condemnation. You need to live in this new covenant of grace. And see, this is what Jesus did with this woman. According to the law, she should have been stoned to death. But because he came to fulfill the law, he didn't come to do away with it. He just fulfilled it. Because of that, he extended mercy. And he showed us a new revelation of God. Not the fact that God didn't consider sin as being wrong, but God loved us so much, he was willing to take all of our sins and place it upon Jesus so that we wouldn't have to suffer. And now God is never going to be angry with us nor rebuke us. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 54, verses 8, 9, and 10. He'll never be angry with you. God's not mad at you. That's after the great Isaiah 53 where Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. He bore our, our, uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And a result of that, chapter 54, is he'll never be angry with us. He'll never rebuke us. His covenant of peace will never re- re- be removed from us. Now, I know that what I'm saying right here violates a tremendous amount of religious teaching. And people think, oh, no, God is still angry today. God will punish you. God caused this child to be born Down syndrome because of the sins of the parents. But that is not true. That is not God who's causing these problems. God is not punishing you. Am I saying that there's no consequences? No, there's still consequences. Not only did God bring punishment upon sin, but you know, there's just consequences to the way you live. You go out and live in sin. Let's say, for instance, you just go and live a sexually impure life and have sex with anybody you want to and ignore all standards of morality that God's given. And you know what? There's sexually transmitted diseases that you can get and you can reap it. It can destroy you emotionally. The condemnation, the guilt that comes upon you. People aren't going to trust you. You're going to destroy your marriage. You're going to cause all kinds of problems. There are consequences, but it's not God that's punishing you. It's not God who's caused you to get sick. It's not God who gave you AIDS. God's not the one doing that. He placed all of His wrath and the punishment for your sin upon Jesus. But does that free you to go live in sin? No, it frees you to live free from sin. It doesn't encourage sin. If you truly understood how much God loves you, it would cause you to turn from that sin and start seeking Him and glorify Him and start living above that. But the reason I bring all of these things up is to say that, see, God is a good God. And there are some things, if you don't have a good understanding of the Word of God, you can go to isolated passages of Scripture where a man picks up sticks on the Sabbath day and God says, kill him because he broke the Sabbath. And you can come to a conclusion about God from that that's not accurate. You could miss why it was enforced that way. You know, I've got a million illustrations of this. I really don't have a lot of time left to say this, but I had a horse one time that they were going to put down and kill because it was wild. 
and it had had a halter put on it when it was only a yearling. It was now three years old. This halter was beginning to grow into its muzzle. It was going to deform this horse and ultimately kill it if they couldn't catch it and nobody could catch this horse. And so anyway, they gave me the horse if I could catch it. I paid some cowboys to go catch this horse and they wound up in the hospital and they said, keep your money and that horse isn't worth it. The Lord finally showed me how to catch this horse and it's a long story I caught this horse. I didn't realize what I was doing. I've had horse lovers get mad at me for what I did. But anyway, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I guarantee you it was traumatic. And when I caught this horse, this horse rebelled so badly that it nearly killed that horse. I mean, that horse for uh, about a month or two was on the verge of whether the vet would put it down or not. It, It just nearly killed itself. But you know what? I didn't, I didn't hurt that horse. What I did was catch that horse and then that horse hurt itself, rebelling at my intervention. And of course, this horse didn't have the understanding to recognize that I was actually saving its life. They were going to have to shoot it and put it down if somebody couldn't catch it and tame it and relocate it. And so I actually was saving this horse's life, but it didn't know that. And anyway, it associated all of this trauma that it had been through with me. And this horse was an Arabian horse. And she'd be standing there and have her head up. And she was just a beautiful horse. But she'd see my green pickup coming from half a mile away. And that horse would put its head down and its ears forward. And it would just go to shaking and trembling like this. That horse had a deathly fear of me. I can understand why it thought that because it associated all of this trauma with me, thought that I did it to it. All I did was catch that horse and save its life. But the horse associated me with all of this hurt and pain and it got a totally wrong impression of me through things that happened. But it totally missed my nature. And you know, as I was thinking about this one time, the Lord spoke to me and He says, that's the way the Old Testament was. I did things and people didn't understand that by me putting this fear in them, I was causing them to submit less to the devil. I was actually saving their life, but they interpreted it that I'm just mean and angry and harsh and they got a totally wrong impression of me. The true impression of God is Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And Jesus turned around and forgave the woman in the very act of adultery. Jesus turned around to the woman who had had five husbands and was living in sin, and He extended mercy towards her. Instead of calling fire down out of heaven the way Elijah did in the Old Testament, Jesus rebuked His disciples for wanting to do that exact same thing. I'm telling you, Jesus is the perfect representation of God. And through that, we need to come up with a philosophy that God is good that God is like Jesus represented Him. Understand why there was this period of time of harshness and wrath, but your philosophy needs to be that God is a good God. And if you would do that, it would stop Satan in your life. Just as it would have stopped Satan in Eve's life if she would have refused to doubt that God was for her and she had to buy into a lie that God was against her to commit that sin. I'm telling you, you need that philosophy.